Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And, yeah. all right, so I got to tell you one thing, too. So okay. I'm backstage as the swing, stage left, and they're do, they're running through. He, the Board of Governors just happened, and I'm just backstage kind of tracking a little bit, and it was we were in preview. And all of a sudden... I'm just standing there by myself. Stage manager's console is stage left, and I'm just standing behind that. And all of a sudden, I hear Bob Cuccioli singing, Seven years ago, I started out on this alone, and now alone, I'll see it through to its conclusion. And guess what? It was seven years that oh. I waited to come to Broadway. And that was my Broadway debut, too. I'd oh. never been on Broadway yet. I'd done off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, you know, sure. the whole thing. But I'd never. So I was going, wow, that's the lyric that existed in 1990. It was fascinating. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, it is spooky season, and we are discussing the gothic pop musical Jekyll and Hyde, which was a listener request from Julia and Will. Jamie also wrote in and said she had been working on a production of it pre-COVID, You know I love hearing from you listeners, so thank you so much for writing in and allowing me to create this special episode. Now, here to chat with me about this show that taught me how to spell facade, (laughs) (laughs) because didn't know that one, Um, (laughs) is someone who uh, has no facade. She's as genuine as they come. She originated the role of Lisa Carew. Yes, Emma was called Lisa It's a whole story. We'll get into it. It's very (laughs) complex. In the very, very, very first production of Jekyll and Hyde, she uh, is multi-talented, has been seen at the Hollywood Bowl, and has many albums that you can listen to on Spotify. Everyone, please welcome the incredible Rebecca Spencer. Yay! (laughs) Becky, I'm so glad you're here because... I can't believe it. It's good to see you. Your journey with this show is... Vast. How, how <laughs> I I aged in this show, literally, <laughs> figuratively, and role wise. <laughs> I played every role except Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. <laughs> but I always like to say I survived every Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. There you from, go. Uh, 
Yeah, I have, it's a it's an interesting story, and stop me whenever you want to. But I'll yep, try to please. make it short. It began at UCLA long before I became part of it, mm. and Frank Wildhorn went there. I think it was UCLA College. He did it, and Chuck Wagner played uh, the Jekyll back then because they went to college together. Chuck then, Wagner, for those who may not know, original Prince and Into the Woods. Exactly, and so then um, we get then they had these auditions in New York, and it was around 1990, and. Uh, that's a long time ago. But anyway, <laughs> and so, and all of a sudden I got this call to go to audition for this new musical for this role. So I ended up booking um, the role of Lisa Carew, the fiance to Dr. Jekyll. And that whole cast was the, was considered the 1990 world premiere of Jekyll and Hyde that was performed at the Alley Theater, directed by Greg Boyd, and choreographed by uh, Jerry Mitchell back then. No way. Back then. I had oh, no yeah, idea. Yeah. What a great, you know, creative time it is. Anytime you're doing an original show, it's amazing. It's scary. It's fun because every day, once you get into production, uh, past the, the rehearsal period, you are being blown on saying, we're going to cut this verse. We're going to cut this scene. We're going to change sure. out this scene. All of that is spooky, you know, <laughs> on top of the fact that, that we just, we had, a, we extended, we extended our, uh, our, a couple weeks there at the Alley Theater, which became the fan base happen. And then... And, um, so Alley Theater in Houston, for those who may not yes. know, Houston, Texas. And you guys were only supposed to run for four weeks, right? Yes, exactly. And then you ended up extending twice? In, like, yeah. That, so we're talking, it took off. I it, even, it really did. I even yeah. heard Frank Wildhorn say that like fans broke windows at some point. Like it was a rowdy whole thing. I don't even know what that story is about. He just it randomly like said it in an interview. I was 30 back then. I don't care. I'm talking about my age. Attica. And I remember going, it was like rock and roll. It was like the, the show would, you know, there would be, uh, you know, the big, Linda Edder's big song, you know, the roles of Lucy or whatever big songs happen or the ensemble. It was like a rock concert. And wow. then when we'd leave the theater, it was we were greeted like a rock concert. It, wow. I never experienced anything like that. And I'd sure. already done tours and stuff like that, but not not to not to this because it was so cutting edge. And but um, and the, new. my story, it, it was brand new. And what what was so great um Starting from my audition in New York for that part, there were a lot of other gals that had better credits than me, but somehow I got in, right? And um, it just happens. And I remember Frank Wildhorn giving me, after I sang a couple pieces for my audition, which were all legit. None of them were pop songs that I sang oh, for him, interesting. mind you. But, but they wanted that palette at mm -hmm. that time, you know, to see. And then, and then what was great about Frank, he... He had put out a concept album with Colm Wilkinson, I think, and Linda Etter. Mm -hmm. And then they gave me this concept album on a cassette. This is yes. how far we go back. It, just to make sure that I was interested so I'd come back for the callback. I'm mm. going, interested? And the song that I loved was This Is The Moment. <laughs> it wasn't even my song, you know? <laughs> and so I just remember going, I love this. Oh, I guess I'm not singing this song. <laughs> but uh, it's been, it was fascinating to listen to how produced it was. And Frank had this, uh, and I quote him on this, I think, he had this concept, you know, back when Cole Porter and all those guys of the of the Tim Penn Alley and, you know, the Americans, early American songbook, all of those guys, you see several songs that they've written either in a movie, in a Broadway show, or it's been like Harry Warren has done it from 42nd mm -hmm. Street, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the revivals and stuff. And what was, he always felt um, that to get the songs out there was important before yeah. the show was done. Mm. And so it created a buzz. So he had that whole 
marketing sort of Grammy uh, award-winning composer sort of train of thought, but then you have to enter into the book, you know, with Leslie Brickus. And so my short story is I did the fiance named Lisa Carew in 1990, had an amazing time, learned a ton. Then they decided to recast it, except for Linda Etter. So pretty much everybody got recast except for Martin Van Turen. And then they did a tour. Mm -hmm. And Greg Boyd was still part of as the director from that. At that point, Jerry Mitchell left that that creative team. And, um, you know, I don't know how this all happened. And then fast forward, I, I'd gone on. I'd moved on. I'd stayed friends with Frank and everything. And I thought, you know, they went a different way for sure. the vocals that they needed. Anyway, you know, and I, I, I didn't have really any hard feelings because I went on to do Phantom, you know. Mm, so I was yeah. working. I was working. You're you know, doing that's fine. all. Yeah. yeah. And so then um, seven years go by and they had done a tour. And all of a sudden, uh, the tour had Christiane Noel, beautiful singer, Ugh. played the Emma role mm -hmm. now. They changed Lisa to Emma because Lisa sounded too similar to Lucy, right. which was the, the, hook, the hooker part, or you know, the, the bad girl part that Linda Etter created. Right. And it was written for Linda. So then they come to New York and they're having these auditions. And I thought, well, I'll go in. And then they said the only thing that was available was a swing. Mm. And so I didn't know what a swing was, but I said, you know what? Wow. I'll take it because I want to learn to direct. And so, and then Ooh, I thought I didn't have to worry about keeping my voice up for this. By the time equity comes in, when they're looking at the preview, they go, this, this is a principal contract. This is the swing, you know? And so I wasn't really responsible for Lynn Edder's part. I wasn't responsible for, for the Emma part. And there was a lady Beaconsfield part. They were three, female principals. I wasn't responsible for them, but I, all the other ones I was. Well, as crazy as this world is, all of a sudden, six months into the contract, uh, Emily Skinner got Sideshow. And she was one of the main covers for both parts. So then I get this. I'm already get getting chills call. because, baby, you need to know this is like my generation of Broadway. Yeah. This is when yes. I was... I knew everybody in, everybody's name in the ensemble. So when you're telling me names like Emily Skinner, I'm getting real excited. So yes, Emily Skinner so gets sideshow. She goes off and, and yeah. for all great reasons for her career path, 100%. of course. 100%. And, and so I was sitting there going, I don't know if I want to stay here more than like a year because I wanted to move on with my own career. I learned about sure. directing. Robin Phillips was now the director. He was a, a British director. Uh, learned a ton from it. It was like going to a master class every time we had just rehearsals. And mm. he was very strict, but I learned so much. And uh, so then all of a sudden I get this call from the stage manager's office because they were having these auditions that Rebecca, they want to see you for, uh, for Emma. I said, what? To sing tomorrow for Emma. I said, what? So I, I was like, this is crazy. The director never knew that I had created the role, nor oh. did I make it a big deal. Like there sure. was an inside conversation with the cast, but I wasn't, I had hung up, I, I realized that I was about ready to hang up the ingenue world forever, fine by me, you know? And I had, I had my run, you know? And it's time for the next generation. But all of a sudden, I got called in. The next day, I went in and auditioned, and I got it. And I, but I still stayed the swing. And then two weeks later, it was like two or three weeks later, they, ha they were in a rush to get somebody because uh, uh, I believe Christiane had to do a recording, some kind of an animated recording, which was a very good thing for her career. But they needed someone. So I, you know, it wasn't the same part. No. And I didn't have a real full rehearsal period for it because I wasn't supposed to rehearse it. <laughs> but I watched the show as, you know, as a swing. And so all of a sudden, 
I had one piano audition. I had, I had rehearsed it once or twice, you know, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, you're going on and you're going on for like a week. And I was going, this is like full circle. So the, so the best part was I got to come full circle in the role I created with all of this Mishigas, but it's seven years later. And in the meantime, there's a couple of the folks, you know, we, we just had a close cast. Our cast was phenomenal. And so many people went on to do stuff from that, from that 1997 cast, let alone the 1990 cast. Hello. You know? Just, yeah. I was surrounded by great, great artists, you know? So I'm performing this piece on this night. Linda was very, very supportive. And all of a sudden, I heard that Frank Wildhorn brought in the cast from either Civil War or Scarlet Pimpernel. Because he, he had, had three all Broadway three shows, shows right at the same time. Exactly. And he brought them in to watch the second act. Because in the second act, in his eyes, that beautiful duet that the two girls sing, um, did not exist in 1990. Somehow it came in. I don't know if it came in by, by way of the tour. But anyway, all of a sudden, I'm singing with one of my best buddies, Linda Etter. And I'm singing this song full out because our voices blended so richly, I had a, a little darker side to my voice than Christiane Knoll does, just the way you know, just the mm-hmm. way we're made up. Built. And it yeah. was it was so thrilling. And then I and it was like this. Apparently, there was like this amazing applause, but I was too worried about get, making my costume change. And <laughs> God bless Linda. We were performing because history was kind of being made, but mm. nobody sort of. It wasn't like forecast, and we didn't have Facebook back then. You know what I mean? Sure. It was just emails. So all of a sudden. Linda's supposed to, from the swing, I knew that Linda would walk down, would take a step, and there would be a light change, and we'd go into the next scene with mm. Dangerous Games was supposed to happen, that big right. kind of sexy duet with uh, yeah. and scary duet with uh, duet, uh, uh, Lucy and, 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 and Hyde at that yeah. point. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I was like, I ran out, I left, my light came down, I left the stage after that big duet. I thought, I was, oh, I'm so happy it went well. Mm-hmm. And then I'm running, and the applause is still going on. And what I didn't know was Linda didn't move on purpose. She told me, she goes, you deserve that applause. So the light cue comes from me. And so she's, and I was like, oh my God. And then she came running backstage to find me. And she's got like the, you know, a new life is coming up. You know, they were just yeah, going to get yeah, killed. Her, but that big, yeah. big, gigantic bow, 11 o'clock numbers come. She's trying to find me backstage. She goes, oh my God, Becky, that was so great. I go, you have to get on stage. <laughs> so. So this was happening backstage, you know, but it, and the crew, everybody, it was so amazing. And to, to tie in 1990 to 1997, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Ed Lindak who played the original Judge Turpin in Sweeney Todd, the original, original. He wow. played the father. He played Sir Danvers, Sir Danvers back in 1990. We mm-hmm. had a duet called Letting Go. It mm-hmm. was cut from the show in 19, by the time it made it to Broadway, that, that duet was that cut. One. It, it was like reworked to a much shorter type of yeah, a much song. shorter. And then we went into we have it, we had his work and nothing more. They did this yeah. great quartet, you know. But what was so amazing, I got a letter a week after that that debut, that sort of full circle. I call it a full mm-hmm. circle coming mm-hmm. off of the role. Never expected it. He sent me a note that he had. I had lost touch with him since 1990. He sent me a note that I, out of pure coincidence, he had purchased a ticket for that Tuesday night <gasps> of that week. And he was in the house when Frank had that other cast watching act two. He had bought his ticket. So he was there to watch my full circle. <sighs> and then he wrote me this note. I still have the letter. And I got it. I was like, oh, what? Uh, the universe the miracles is just so, are... you know, it was like it just checked all the boxes of when you go in full circle, you're supposed to move forward. You know, wow. that's how I believe. And so, 
after I did that for like six months, the gal, uh, Emily Zacharias, who was who created the role of Lady Beaconsfield slash Guinevere, the dual roles, because everybody had a dual role, the mm-hmm. facades, the confrontation, all had everything to do with the duality of personality and and, and mankind. You and were like, so, you, were, you were a slummy, in quotes, person, and then like a high class person. And, yes, and, there, the and so everybody. Yes, the board director who was, who poo pooed his experiment. And the brothel, head of the brothel who said, welcome, you know. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah. So, Same actor. But, um, so she was leaving the show. And they were now having auditions in New York to replace her. <laughs> I was still the swing. They're having auditions. And I'm going, and then I'm getting calls from these fabulous character women, you know, going, Beck, hey, you know, my show just closed. You know, what what do you think I have to do? I've got an audition for this. What do you think? I, I Oh, I said you should probably do this or that. Or this yeah. is what they're going to look for. Or, you know, the costume is this. And all of a sudden, I got a call to go in to meet with the director again. And I, and then I was like, what's happening? And then one of the gals said, I think they may be going in house. Well, I thought they were gonna give it to the understudy. No, sure. I, Jason Hallen took me out till dinner and said, this is kind of what's at play. I want you to be okay. They were gonna take away the Emma character from you, but we're gonna take away your swing. You can hang your swing set up and now you can just be, we, they would like to offer you Lady Beaconsfield and Guinevere, which is a principal role. Older, you know, I aged through this thing. Yeah, so yeah. now I, was, I, got, I got the principal contract and I moved out of that, I've completely moved out of my ingenue land. I, and what a, what a beautiful way, you know, In to the same follow show. this show. In the same show. And so then- uh, Did they give I, you I, a birthday cake? Were they like, <laughs> you've officially- You've officially I got become a fabulous contract, is what I. <laughs> Better than a birthday cake. <laughs> I fit the costumes and I knew the track, you know. So, but you know, so it was, it was, uh, yeah. So that was, that's my story. I mean, I, I wore all the costumes, and uh, and it's not like I wish I had an easy story, but I don't. <laughs> Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together, and Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I want to 
because we haven't talked about Frank Wildhorn on the podcast yet. So I, oh. I do want to talk a little bit about him. And you mentioned that, you know, he went to... Uh, he to, went to one of the colleges. I think it's. California. I think it was USC. Now that I'm looking at I my notes, I think you're right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. But he was born in Harlem, so he was born New York boy. Then moved to Florida at age 14. Uh, one of those kids who just learned how to play the piano by himself and really loved composing music. He goes to Southern California. Obviously, meets up with a lot of people that are going to be coming up in the Jekyll and Hyde story. But he also just starts writing pop music, right? And becomes incredibly prolific at it. And this is what I, one of the biggest lessons for me, not only about your story, Becky, but about Jekyll and Hyde in general, is that like the the seedlings of this show begin kind of in the early 80s, yeah. depending on who you're talking to. And then it doesn't reach Broadway until 1997. So yeah. like the amount of time that goes by of this thing just gestating um, is really inspiring in, in many ways. And every time you hear Frank Wildhorn talk about it, I never hear like impatience or entitlement in the way that he's like, "Ugh, it took us so long to get there. Every time I've heard him talk about it, it's like, it's the gift that kept on giving. He always and, says that to me, you know, yeah, and, always, yeah. And and the gift just ended up on Broadway eventually, yeah. you know? Like, it's it's really beautiful and, inspi- and once again, inspiring. And they start, when they started at USC, there's a guy, he also has a, a, a some kind of a podcast, Steve Kuden. And he yes, was one he, of the original collaborators. And he's he, still uh, listed, like, yeah. when, you, when you look at the show, when you look at the script, he is still listed as a co-lyricist and a co-conceiver, I think. So oh, they, yeah. they he, had worked was, together. And, and I've met him several times. He came to the opening, you know. The, did, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so he's, yeah, everyone, everyone speaks to each other, you know. It's just that creative that's amazing. dilemma, you know. But, yeah. Um, but Frank so they, is, Frank writes, I, you know, he'll probably hate me saying this, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> because I love Frank, and he knows I do. I think Frank writes some of the most gorgeous ballads ever. He's just a beautiful tunesmith, you know, on top of, and that's not degrading at all, because I, I, who no. doesn't like a melody, you know? Yeah. But he, I, or a modulation. <laughs> For that matter. <laughs> But it's just, he writes such beautiful, beautiful ballads and melodies. And yeah. I know that he, you know, when he, Where Do Broken Hearts Go, that was his Whitney Houston, one of his Whitney Houston That hits. was the but, big, big yeah, one, yeah. the big one. But it was just like, um, he really is, he, he writes beautifully. He's, he's all over the world now doing all kinds of stuff, you know, and he's very active. He's over in Japan and, and uh, I think he was in Korea too at some point. But he's very, very prolific still, and uh, but he's just doing it overseas. Yeah. Well, when you when you say that he's such a beautiful tunesmith, I completely agree. I think that composers would love to have a, one song as beautiful as someone like you. You know, but then you think of how many other songs are not only in this show, but then also in Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah. And and then later in his career, he's still cranking out. Um, uh, what's the one from Bonnie and Clyde that I love so much? Uh, dying. Dying ain't so bad. So bad. One. Yeah. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. A stunning song. He's just yeah. he he can really crank them out in a way that and that his I don't... Civil War. His Civil War oh. is. There are so uh, many it, beautiful songs yeah, in Civil War. Yeah. The Honor of Your Name. Yes. Mm. Yeah. A perfect song in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, we have a fun thing. So when we were doing Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway. 
he had the Scarlet Pimpernel playing and he had Civil War playing at the same time. So mm-hmm. one matinee day, we got the memo that we were all going to walk over to the theater where they were doing Civil War. The mm-hmm. Scarlet Pimpernel cast, the Jekyll and Hyde cast, and the Civil War cast. And we were all on stage together and we have a photo. We got Aww, a photo. And Linda so Edder came in. Linda was, had left the show by that point, but she came mm-hmm. in. So it was like Frank and Linda in the middle. And there was like Jekyll and Hyde, Civil War, Scarlet Pimpernel. And the principals were up uh, up in front. But I have that picture. And he, he gave it to Aww. everybody and we, he signed it. And I have, I have it hanging in my office. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Well, he he is so incredibly prolific. And so in the early 80s, he's cranking out all these pop songs, working in the recording industry. Meanwhile, you know, working on this musical, the main lyricist and librettist responsibilities get shifted from Steve Kudin to Leslie Brickus, who yes. for those, I don't know if we've talked about Leslie Brickus. There's no, so many people that... we just that, lost him. I'm so sad. Yeah, he, he just a, a, a brilliant guy. Listeners, you need to reach out because uh, <laughs> shocking, nobody has requested us to cover Stop the World I Want to Get Off or something. Oh, I <laughs> so, know. Or Roar of the Grease Paint Smell of the Crowd. He, he's a British composer, lyricist who worked with Anthony Newley on these two big hit shows from the 60s, but he was also. I mean, even if you don't know those shows, you know uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and he did The Candyman and Pure Imagination, another perfect song. Oh, that's My gosh. beautiful. If, that's a beautiful if song. If one only writes Pure Imagination in their life, I would consider that life a success, but he, yeah. he did so much more. And Leslie Brickus was a gentleman of all gentlemen to be exposed to him, and we were at the Alley Theater. He was there for all the entire rehearsal period and into wow. the final curtain. He and his wife, Evie, I mean, they, they're they splendid, and they are royalty. Mm. So he comes in with Frank Wildhorn. They're working on this content. And Frank Wildhorn, probably from being in the recording industry, looks at Andrew Lloyd Webber and sees how he got his musicals made, which was through these concept albums, right? That's how yes, Jesus that's Christ right. Superstar got traction, exactly right. Joseph, all of those things. And Frank realizes, oh, this hasn't been done in America, which bad on us. I don't know why on earth it took us all the way to the 80s to be like, huh, this actually kind of worked for someone. Maybe I should give it a try. So Frank Wildhorn has all this great catalog of songs from Jekyll and Hyde. He goes to every recording company that he knows and has worked with through his career thus far, and every single one of them turns him down. Yep. They're, they say, not interested. And so maybe that's why we hadn't done it in America at this point. He goes to London, to the London division of BMG, I believe, or uh-huh. RCA. I'm totally not, not totally sure on that one. But uh, he gives them the recording, uh, which includes Linda Edder, who he had come in contact with after seeing her win Star Search. Yes. The late 80s were very big for these two people because in the same year, I think that Whitney Houston recorded Where Do Lonely Hearts Go that Frank Wildhorn had written, Linda Edder wins Star Search, was like, which was like the American Idol of the time. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yep. even bigger than American Idol. She, she set like a record for consecutive wins. Like yeah. nobody could defeat her. So she she had won Star Search. He was the next big thing. She uh, does like the demo for this recording. And that's what he shares with the people in London. They say, okay, we're going to do this recording. We have just signed Colm Wilkinson because he's been the next best thing to slice bread because Les Mis just came out. 
So he can do Dr. Jekyll and whoever this girl is on the CD, we want to sign her too. So from that demo, they also sign Linda Etter. And then that is this concept recording that you mentioned, yeah, right? And yeah. if, I, if I look like I'm in a little bit of a daze, Becky, it's because for the past three days, I've listened to every single cast recording oh, of Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, that's amazing. Chronologically, yeah? Beginning yeah. with this concept album. And I would say, looking back on it, this cast recording sounds like what my parents would play on the radio on a Saturday morning when everyone's like washing the car and watering the plants. Yeah. FM 100 is what yeah, we call it. Yeah, that's right. I remember, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it has that like smooth pop sound, right? We, we, they haven't really gone in the full gothic realm of things. Now, after that concept recording is your production, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was. We didn't do a recording yeah. for 1990, so it would be it would be the Broadway, yep, the 1997. Okay. So you guys do your production. It's a huge smash. Did they talk about taking it to Broadway at that point? Did you hear about it? In 1990, anything? there was a lot of talk. There were a lot of producers sure. floating around. I mean, there was there was uh, it was a lot. And fantastic, but yeah, there was a lot. There were movie movie directors that were interested, and there's still talk of it being a movie, you know, a movie musical. Sure. You know? yeah. um, but I don't know where that is right now. But you know, yeah, I ask because it was a precarious time on Broadway in the early '90s. So mm -hmm. I think it was difficult to get uh, producers to to lay down the cash to to make a full Broadway transfer of a brand new musical that wasn't a revival or a review of pre-existing songs. So it, it's no surprise to me that for whatever reason, those plans fall through. From what I understand, they lose the rights to Jekyll and Hyde at the same time. So at some point, they get the rights back. Uh, that's when this new national tour goes out with Anthony, is it Anthony Warlow? And Carolee Carmelo and Linda That's a Edder. Recording. And that, that didn't and, tour. That, that never didn't toured. tour. No, but they okay. recorded. There was a recording of so, those guys. So yeah. then they recorded that before then a, a, a new production yeah. went out, which was yet another studio recording, another Andrew Lloyd Webber in to get the momentum building. Can we just pause? Because now we're going to this next recording. Anthony Warlow is, I think, my favorite Australian export of all time. Well, they that loved his voice. I know that Frank loved his voice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely incredible to listen to him on that recording. A very young Carolee Carmelo, very fun to listen to her yes. as well. And Linda Etter, who throughout the different recordings just gets better and I know. better. Yeah. It's insane. It's a great woman. it's a great throat. I got to say like with the BFA if you will of what musical theater has become and and the amazing training that all of us kids ha have and now are even more so receiving I'm so grateful to have experienced people in the theater like in Linda Edder whose voices are singular, who sound like no one else. She really is so one one of maybe the most special voices we have had in our modern. I think so too. I think so too. And it helps that the composer was married to her for a while, but it's still Linda's voice. It's Linda's Hello. voice, and yep. there's there's it's it unmistakably you know a, a a gift. You know what I was hoping in in the theater world because her voice is so rich. And it wasn't, it was like a belt mix. If you want to get into technical stuff, it was a belt mix. It was a pop, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like 
belter or soprano mix or or skinny, you know, a skinny sound. But yeah. I I feel like there's too many people that sound the same now. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I and I and I think if someone comes in and auditions for something and they just have a little bit of something extra, you know, that they they'll they'll train them to sort of go in that other direction. And I I just I just wish that there would be more people that would allow for these different talents to take over the part and and if there's a just a little bit of a different sound because we all know like Jekyll there are so many different keys for that there's several different keys they didn't all just step in and oh, sing really? the same key Frank made sure that and Jason oh. Howland made sure that they you know just ever so Jason Howland by the way who went on to compose Little Women and yes, Paradise Square yeah. right and now yeah, great he's, Gatsby. I just I love Jason. He was he's a, he was a youngster, you know, in there conducting then. Wow. But uh, but what a nice guy. So they made sure that everybody got the key to the, because it's such a taxing role, right? Yeah, and and talk about you know co- confrontation. You know, they were trying to find theater driven sound that would work for Broadway, but they wanted to bring the pop sound in and honor that. So there was a lot of and the the thing that saved it, I think was not only the music is so beautiful, but the lyrics did drive it, you know, and that gave mm. you, from Leslie Brickus, that gave mm-hmm. you uh, the A-OK, that the book and the lyrics had, uh, you know, had forward motion, you know. Yeah. There was there was talk at some point that some of the, the songs stopped the action. I never agreed with that, but, you know, the critics had their own way. way. No, I didn't. Sure. You know, I didn't mind stopping and, like, getting to know this person. <laughs> You know, because everything sure, rushes yeah. by. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit more, I like to dig, you know, even as an yeah. actor, you know, so so I'm going no, to be attracted to stuff like that. There are so many, uh, like I said, after listening to the score so many times, there are some really rich, beautiful lyrics in here. And then there are some lyrics where I, I'm reminded that my first introduction to some of these songs was through beauty pageants. Yeah, yeah, okay. Does that, and, you know what ice, I mean? And ice skating, you know, people are and ice skating, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. There was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. They're very heartfelt, but very generic. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's a horrible word, but they're they're meant to be able to be put into any situation, and it will make sense, right? As opposed to living in this one moment, one time, Jekyll and Hyde. And where Frank reflected well for the theater, and also when he talked about you know the way Cole Porter used to do it, the concept albums, everything. But he was Mm -hmm. talking about the songs. Stylistically, he's written some of the most beautiful introductions to some of these songs. The whole um, "Someone Like You" has a beautiful introduction until you get into Uh, "Someone Like You." You know, it's a most beautiful. I peer through windows, watch life go by. There was Mm. a song. uh, no one tells me who I uh, look at me and tell me who I am, why I am. Mm-hmm. That song used to come before "Bring On the Men," mm-hmm. and um, but now, but they cut "Bring On the Men" for Broadway. I think it went back out on tour. It was on the tour. It was in 1990. But then, yeah, everyone that, revolted. Tell me, look, look who I am, <laughs> and I know, really, I know, it's crazy. Those particular <laughs> intros, there's Lost in the Darkness is a beautiful intro, you know, or a scene, you know. So it was like, it was, it was a song, but it served as a recitative, really. You know, it does. That's really, so, that's a, there yeah. is a connection to older pop music in that way, like that old Jerome Kern, Cole Porter sort of way. Yeah. Like the, the verse before Somewhere Over the Rainbow, right? Yes. Or Someone to Watch Over Me. Absolutely. And I love that. 
If I can, yeah. you know, you, can, you don't can't do it for auditions, you know. But in, if I'm doing an evening, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna do the whole song. The full Even song. if I yeah. juxtapose it, you know, just to make my own interpretation. But but his, some of his introductions in this uh, in Jekyll and Hyde to the to the song proper, amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a really great point. So. Long story short, a new national tour goes out of Jekyll and Hyde in the in the nineties that precedes its Broadway debut. That's right. Yeah. And when it arrives on Broadway, just like at the Houston, immediately crazy fans. Jackies. Called called the Jackies. Yeah. <laughs> just die hard love and love, love Jekyll and Hyde fans. And honestly, Frank Wildhorden fans are are kind of the best people to watch a show with. I, I've said on the podcast before, I happen to have tickets to the closing night of <gasps> uh, Civil War. Oh, wow. And all of the Wildhorn fans were there, and it was one of the most electric nights of theater. I don't even know if the show was that good, to be honest, because the electricity was so <laughs> incredible in the audience. You couldn't help but be swept up into it. It was absolutely fantastic. But along with the fandom comes the Broadway haters. Yeah. And this is where he has something else in common with Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> is that critics love to hate Frank Wildhorn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think what do you think that's all about? I I don't I hmm, that's a hard one for me to answer. I, I think that at the time Frank came in to Broadway to do Jekyll and Hyde, he had not done a Broadway show yet. You know, it had sure. heard the. You know, there was the. It was resonating from the at the Alley Theater production, of course, and the mm -hmm. tours. But I think, um, I think Frank had his own way of wanting to produce something. The way he takes charge of an album, you know, the way he takes charge of the the creative process in creating, you know, his own piece. And I don't think there were any restraints put put on him um, in the creative process at all. But I don't know how that gelled with the, 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 the theater guard, the theater guild, the status, you know, quo. the status quo, that's all hypotheticals, but I can only For think sure. that he was a new kid on the block, so mm -hmm. to speak, but he wasn't new at what mm -hmm. he did, you know, but he was new for yeah. a Broadway show. And I don't, I don't know what the protocols were and saying, Oh, thank you for letting me in. Or, you know, I don't know what that all was. Yeah. And I, and, um, if you, if you have a, Frank has a really, a very healthy ego and he should, you know, that's the only mm -hmm. way we survive. But, and then I don't know why there would be such a jealousy for a hit show because it would be work for everybody. Well, you would think, right? Yeah. yeah I, I did earlier this year uh, an episode on Be More Chill. And uh, Joe Iconis was talking about something similar. The more like regular people loved his show, the more the theater guard hated his shows. Yeah, if that makes sense. It was like, very interesting during that time. Uh, there was like, uh, there were other shows. I can't, I can't remember exactly all the other shows that were that were running at the time. But I remember there were people, even our colleagues, were making fun of us because our book wasn't that good, or or they thought mm -hmm. the story was whatever, or they, or they, and all of a sudden, one by one, those other shows were closing. Our show lasted three years, but. Um, but they were closing before us. They opened after us and they closed before us. And then they were getting like, is there any openings in your show? And I'm going, and like, I, oh, I, interesting. I, and I'm going, you can't, you can't ask 
me or somebody is there any openings in the show when you when like just five months later earlier you were like saying oh your show's a piece of crap it's not gonna work you know and like <laughs> you know and it's just so wow. that's silly right you know but yeah. but um it, it happened i mean we were we were in this show that you know every show there's not a single well there are some perfect shows our show might not have been perfect but in terms mm -hmm. of the the structure the, the way whatever you want to go at it, the book, the lyric, the mm -hmm. music, whatever. But it was completely 180%. We were there every night and, and mm -hmm. the audience was there every night and nobody phoned it in. But yeah, so that whole thing about the, the climate of Broadway back then, I, I don't know. I Honestly, I found a quote that I wanted to play for everybody uh, of Frank Wildhorn talking about the importance of Jekyll and Hyde. And I believe Jekyll and Hyde will be looked at very differently as the years go on, because in some ways it really was the first show, you know, to take a pop musical vocabulary and theater and combine them. Listening to that quote, I, I'm almost shocked at first being like, Frank, that is a big claim. I don't know how I feel about that. But then when I sit down and think about it, I'm like, yeah, a lot of the jukebox musicals that came after Jekyll and Hyde uh, certainly we had had Smokey Joe's Cafe and those types of reviews, but the Jersey Boys, the All Shook Ups, the, you know, the Mamma Mia's, those were all coming after. And I'm not saying it's because of Jekyll and Hyde, but Jekyll and Hyde really did pave the way to train a musical theater ear to accept pop well, music at, uh, in a Broadway I mean, theater. You know, Aida, John's. hello, exactly. That's a great point. That is a great point. There is no way Aida would have happened without That's Jekyll the first Hyde. one that comes to mind. That's Elton John, and it's lush, and it tells a yep. story, but it is yep. definitely Elton John. You know, I mean, there's yeah. his his uh, uh, style is there, and, and the singers and everything. Two years after yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, so it's... That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, that's what I would say. But exactly that, what... He, what you just quoted with Frank, he has said that when we are just backstage. He said that mm. in our table read. And maybe that quote alienated, you know, the Broadway, the other, the Broadway guard, thinking that he was putting them, putting down the old guard. But I think it was just, he just heard it differently. And he, mm -hmm. need, and he needed to learn how to be more theatrical versus, you know, just doing a pop pop tunes inside of a show and so we all and his i tend you know, to think that his shows have gotten better like oh, i yeah. love bonnie and clyde i think it's a beautifully written show yeah i just was on facebook there was somebody there who said what are the most underrated shows and the like there were more than i just happened to scroll through i was like they said bonnie and clyde it's so interesting you know yeah, yeah the, it's, it's a great show but that's a, that quote is i can tell you that it's authentic to frank i've heard him say it mm. even have a cup of coffee you know i absolutely wow. that's wow. how what he believed with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. 
It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50. That's musical theater with an ER. And use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, I haven't told you this, but I cut to 1997, Jekyll and Hyde's on Broadway, opens on Broadway. I got to see it. It was at my it was my first trip to New York. I was there with my grandparents and I had tickets. We had tickets to Jekyll and Hyde. And how old was I? I was 16 years old. And I was, I I, I told people, because I was a very dramatic child, I told people that I left an imprint on my seat because, like, I was so, because I, you know, very conservative kid. I didn't watch, like, a rated R movie until my late 20s. So, like, I hadn't seen a lot of, um, thriller type things and, and, and definitely not on stage. And I ate it up. I ate every single crumb. I, I thought it was so entertaining and, and the voices coming at you just were so overwhelming. So I immediately got, you know, my, my cast album. I, it was a CD that I then burned onto a cassette tape yeah. because I only had a cassette tape in my car. <laughs> so then I could, <laughs> exactly. So then I could listen to it like that. And I considered myself a fan of Jekyll and Hyde. But then, of course, then you come across the true fans of Jekyll and Hyde and they're like, but they cut bitch, bitch, bitch and bring on the men. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's evolved. It's, it's evolution. Of it's, <laughs> it has continued to evolve. Exactly. And some of those evolutions happened almost immediately when the national tour went out. They put back uh, bring on the men and also... I need, I need to, to know. know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that because that yeah. wasn't a, yeah. a great yeah. a great piece. Yeah. I guess fast forwarding even more, there have been several recordings since then. There was a a resurrection, I guess, uh, recording oh, with Rob with Evan. Rob Evan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and Presidente Kate Schindel. Yes, and that that was all about like adding. Uh, more of a rock and roll orchestration. Yeah. There's a lot of gu- electric guitars. And then there's a, yet another recording of it starring Deborah Cox and Constantine Maroulis. And that was the revival. That was the revival. And that was the revival. Yeah. Which I saw and didn't care for, unfortunately, but still like amazing voices. Oh, I know. You know, it's, so, still, it's something I was laughing. I was like, well, I wasn't laughing. I was going, well, I guess I... I've, I did well for myself with the whole Jekyll and Hyde experience because, you know, I, I followed that through as opposed to turning down some other, some shows that were immediate. You had to make a choice, you know, and I made the choice. Sure, sure. And, um, but I, <laughs> I, I said, well, when it gets revived, it must have been a good show. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm going, and then I go, and when something gets revived, I need reviving because it means I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, going, you're like okay. my, 
My Broadway debut has been revived. Got, that must oh, mean I need I need the paddle. I need Broadway Clear. again. I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> but I do. It's a it's funny. Ragtime did the same thing, you know. But so so many others. Oh sure. But um, there is a there is something. I don't know if you've heard it on any of those albums because I haven't listened to all of them. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, there was a wonderful moment. They tried it out in 1990 when Chuck was doing the show, and and Leslie Burkus got the idea, or or Greg Boyd got the idea to have ask Frank to put to music something that Robert Louis Stevenson actually an excerpt from the book. I'm so glad you brought that up because we haven't even touched on Robert Louis Stevenson, who was the original writer of this novella that you just mentioned, is called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, written in 1886 by Robert Louis Stevenson. He, a really interesting guy, Scottish, was born in a very conservative family, very religious family, and soon found himself becoming a little bit disinterested with that upbringing. He became much more of a bohemian, uh, grew his hair long, and I think probably visited a couple, a couple of brothels, and begins writing. He writes Treasure Island, oh yeah, one of his most famous, yeah. and then oh, of course this novella that became Jekyll and Hyde. Interesting enough, from what I gather, the two women aren't a part of this that story. I love the interp- reinterpret people reinterpreted stuff. You know, I mean, they were- yeah. It's just a it's just a very very short book, um, so it, it has given people a lot of license to kind well, of take it, was, it, it was, where they want. And I I I loved Leslie Brickus gave every one of us for opening night that book and they signed it. It was very very personal mm, note, so I still have that's that. That's so sweet. But um. That novella is, it's an interesting thing on how we interpret books at all. You know what I mean? For the film or for, for Broadway or, or plays. And I loved that it, it really, because it was in the Victorian era too, when, it, when he was writing, the fact that he, that there was this question about um, lobotomies, you know, I mean, or, or the, or the mind or how, how do we, how, how do, do we deal we with duality, treat? you know, and mm-hmm. the complexity of mankind and, and do we do it with drugs or do we not do it with drugs? And, you know, and, and then, you know, the musical then condensed all of that and went good and evil, which might've been yeah. a little sparse. And oh, and here's a little Simplistic. bit of drug action, you know, for altercation, yeah. but yeah. I really quite uh, amazed, you know, in the Victorian era, because you have the whole Jack the Ripper thing, you have all this other stuff going on about what mm-hmm. good and evil meant. But they were very interested yeah. in science because we didn't have the information we that we have know. now, you know. Yeah. But the whole thing with the mind, I think it's still, we still, we can have all kinds of machines hooked up to our mind, but we still don't know how the brain works, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, so. I'm glad you bring that up because when I was thinking about this episode and, and thinking about who I was at 16 when I saw the show and who I am now, I I don't know, maybe at 16 I was a little bit more okay with just accepting this message of like, within us exists a good half and a bad half and then we need to like keep the bad half down and only feed the good half you know and uh, probably to a a closeted young boy like that makes a lot of sense right To, to keep certain parts of myself down and 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 now that I I see who I've become and also what I've experienced in life even here on Maui recently like I I do believe that everyone is good and that it's when like fear gets in the way and ego gets in the way that then we start making wrong decisions and 
And so I wonder if maybe Jekyll and Hyde just doesn't speak to me because it so simplistically divides us into good and evil. But then when I get into the show and really listen to what Jekyll is trying to do, yeah. right? At right at the beginning of the of the musical, and and we'll talk through a little bit of the show. Right at the top, they make it very clear that he is not playing God. In fact, he is talking to God yeah. and saying, "Help me figure this out. I need to What's know." What's my calling? And for a very yeah. personal reason, uh, Leslie Burkus included this idea that his father is uh, in a mental institution, right? right? That were incredibly barbaric during that time. And so he is actively looking for a cure, yep. thinking that this madness that that his father is experiencing could somehow be extracted, uh, that maybe the cause of it is the same thing that makes us make bad decisions. Yes, yeah. it right? sent us into... A question, you know, so it's a theatrical convention of why does someone mm -hmm. act the way they do? There has to be some pivotal moment that makes them choose, you know, in one direction. Mm -hmm. So that beginning on the gurneys of the, you know, on the red, yeah. on that red box, you know, that this big red about box. the Broadway, you know, the Broadway <laughs> show. And, you know, it's just, I said, as long as I'm not going to be naked body on there, I'm fine. Because you know? <laughs> I was a swing. That's like, right. They were nudie patooties. <gasps> You're so right. And I was like, mm. Becky, I totally forgot. I think this may have been like my first naked body that I ever saw. Well, it's so it's so weird because I it was a joke, running joke with my agents. Because like, I said, they said, well, there's there could be a nude, there's a nudity clause you have to sign. I said nudity clause, and I didn't even <laughs> think about you know bodies on gurneys. You know, we hadn't gotten the script, and it wasn't. We didn't sure. talk about it. wasn't It didn't start that way in. Well, no, it, in actually, it did. It did. But there, it was not as upfront, you know. To, it it mm -hmm. actually started the same exact way because it was Leslie Burke's book too. But but I was going nudity clause, you know, as a swing now. <laughs> and I said, well, as long as there's chiffon, I'm good to go because chiffon can <laughs> repel the light. You know? <laughs> and I thought they're never going to put me naked on a gurney. So I was, and they didn't. So thank God I never had to say no. <laughs> But really, there's a nudity. Clause. You had to sign a nudity clause with the actor's equity. You know that's, that's respectfully that's so. Fantastic. You know, but um, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. for yeah. sure. So we we learn very quickly that this experimentation isn't boding well with the people who hold all of the cards as to who gets the funding to uh, look into their sciences. The board of governors is this group of very powerful people all of whom seem to be leading dual lives. And this aforementioned facade song that the people, the kind of the regular people of England sing to the audience is describing that, right? Yeah. They are pretending to be a pillar of society. Yeah. But that is not who they are on the inside. The insides don't match the outsides. And that is proven at this meeting where Dr. Jekyll says, hey, uh, this is what I want to do. And it isn't like everybody raises a concern and is like, ooh, I'm not, I'm not totally sure about this. I don't know if this is what we should be doing. People are angry and, yeah. <laughs> and almost violent in the way that they refuse him, yeah. calling him a, a heretic and are offended, you know, in their great principle by what he is trying to do. And, and he says in that confrontation, I know you're not going to do anything for these people in the mental institution, so let me. Yeah. You know? Did you love being a little bit evil? Oh, 
when you were playing. Of course I, mean, I did. Come on. A little sarcastic upper crust. <laughs> I was like, this must be my yes. ancestry coming through me. I had a fabulous, <laughs> and I had a fabulous, fabulous dress. And, you know, Lady Beckinsfield, she, she says, she goes, Dr. Jekyll, enough of She's your ranting, of sir. This is a hospital here to save lives. And so the fear, mm -hmm. there's such a fear, mm -hmm. you know, and we're, th we're still yeah. talking Victorian era. You know, I can't rewrite history on how people thought, you know, back then. Uh, but the fear and hypocrisy, and she obviously had deep pockets, you know. Well, but, and, um, and I would like to say that it only happened in Victorian times, but I, I listened to some of the confrontations and arguments in local schools and school districts all over this yep. country about book banning. And a lot of it is very similar. It, it, it comes from this fear. It's a fear base, and yep. It's also yep. angry, and it, it presents itself in that same anger that we get yeah. in that scene with the Board of Governors. Yeah, it's, it is fear. It is about fear and duality and a hypocrisy, you know. And I think that Jekyll and Hyde, in that era, it really modeled itself all around Jekyll's plight, you know what I mean? So, and then you saw the bishop, you know, hiring a hooker later on in the scene, and then he mm, gets murdered because mm -hmm. Hyde, Hyde now takes over the alter ego of Jekyll to go after and kill all the people that said no to him. You know, it's like yeah, a yeah, very, exactly. uh, I mean, when you think about that, that sequence, this couple of the sequences they did during Murder, Murder, it was uh, that big ensemble number. It was Passage of Time. Basically, mm -hmm. the song isn't yeah. that great, you know, but, uh, you know, it kind of was like a Greek chorus, murder, you know. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing funnier to me than watching a choreographer trying to stage murder, murder. Well, therein lies. Murder, murder. You know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you a little inside of that. I'll tell you. So as the swing on behind the table and we knew we, we show up at the we we're Radio City Music Hall in one of their big halls rehearsing. And we're going to do, we know that that's the day we're going to stage Murder, Murder. And Joey mm -hmm. Peasy was the, uh, the, the Broadway, I think it's Joey Peasy, yeah. And um, loved him, you know. And he had a whole, you know, idea. And we had umbrellas and, you know, because it rains in London and everything. Well, he gets up to choreograph the number and the director says, sit down, I'll just do this. Oh. So Robin Phillips, he had to, uh, Joey had to go and, Ugh, you know, with all his uh, reserve, he had to go and fix things. But it ended up being sure. the the director took it upon himself to really sort of stage it St and and kind of stage it as a scene. Yeah, more than and a, it was a, a really tense moment because you know. I bet it was tense, but I honestly think it might be the right. Yeah, I mean, I right I just choice. remember the angst because I was sitting behind the table going, "Oh my God, I have to learn all these tracks." You know, I just I was looking oh, at that, right. you know, but. But in the meantime, you, you picked up in the room that there was a lot of, uh, you know, frustration because, you know, Joey was hired to choreograph and this going to be on him, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah. ultimately, you know, when I put on my director hat, what am I learning from this? It was def definitely mm -hmm. a convention for passage of time. And an opportunity to see a lot of cool deaths. And look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it right here. I love me a, a bloody production of Jekyll and Hyde. I want to see some gruesome, awful deaths going down. Now, uh, let's talk a little briefly, a little bit about Emma slash Lisa. And and I, I, okay, another hot take that's not that hot. I love Emma. I think she's the most interesting character in the whole show. And when I see it as a full-grown adult, she is my favorite part yeah. of the show. I think she's a strong woman in a in a 
time period where that wasn't really uh, supposed to be a thing. She has decided that she loves Jekyll and supports him in his passions, but also says, I have my own passions and my own dreams. What What are your thoughts on her? Because well, she, that's she just how I feel. She was upper crust and... Uh, when I was cast in 1990, and and, and Christiane had had the similar backbone, but I always felt that she it was you had to really honor the upper crust, her high education, and she did mm-hmm. want to get married, and she was following that protocol of that society of that time. But I do think that she might have been a little bit more advanced than the other women of the day. I always felt that. She loved her father, she loved family, she loved education. She obviously showed up at all of the all the upper crust things you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't I never thought that she was broken. You know, even when she started to sense there is something gravely wrong here. I love I love what you said though that she's not broken. She's not in a in this relationship because she's broken and and she's also someone who's lived in society and has managed to escape the hypocrisy that she's surrounded by, right? She, she's at these parties with all of the people, but at the same time, she has kept herself free of, the, of that disease, yeah, if you will. Yeah, and stays you know, strong with what she felt was right for her life, you know? It's a, and then yeah. on the other hand, uh, you know, you, we were dealing with the... The shot, you know, when, when at the wedding, you're at the wedding, right? And at the very end, at oh, the sure. wedding, the drug takes effect. And mm-hmm. when we were doing the reading, the table read for mm. Broadway, I'm, I hadn't, I, I guess I had seen, I don't know if I, I think we might have gotten the scripts that day. And so I, I was sitting there listening and I'm going, I wonder if that same line is going to be the last line, go to sleep, my tormented love. They put mm. that in at the very end at the wedding scene when he gets killed because he he's com- he becomes Hyde and that right. struggle happens and then all of a sudden as the bride you're over time you just go to sleep my tormented love and mm. I remember being given that line back in 1990 and I was like okay and so I just did it you know in in the moment but it was and every and then we have this mock backstage everyone from that cast did their own version go to sleep my tormented love that we have this mock video that's like sort of a private video everyone going go to sleep my tormented love <laughs> and, everyone, and at the end of it i'm in a bride outfit and i think linda was actually a videotape at this point i went go to sleep my what's the line <laughs> so but but the fact is, is it really is a, um, it's so beautifully, you know, that, that line is beautiful, really, you sure, know, it was, sure. but uh, yeah, so I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I have all these flashbacks happening at the same no, time. No, no, this, this is, this is all going to be so great. Uh, so a couple more things. Emma and Jekyll are engaged. Their part, their engagement party doesn't really go well because of everything that's been going down at the hospital. He and his friend decide to go to a brothel for the bachelor party. And there he meets Lucy, who uh, is it the Red Rat? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the main performer and prostitute at the Red Rat. Now, here's where I need a little bit of help from you. Because I'm not, I don't think I know her as well as I know Emma. She's a little bit of everything. She's owning her sexuality but she also doesn't feel like anybody knows who she really is. And then she meets Henry, Jekyll, and 
he like treats her as something other than an object and that kind of unlocks an even softer side of her. Does is this sounding right yes, so far? Yes, I think I think that I don't know what her backstory is, you know, I mm-hmm. Lucy's backstory, but but how it ended up being directed was, you know, there's a woman she was put in there for under circumstance, whether she was born in a different station in life in that society mm-hmm. and um or she was orphaned, you know, there's all kinds of backstories that would lead her into the brothel of that period versus mm-hmm. what happens today, but maybe similar, you know? And so, mm-hmm. but for some reason, she has more of a, um, not a curiosity, a yearning for something better because she's meeting these upper crust gentlemen that are coming to that. They all, they mm-hmm. all came there. She's not just, she's not That's just jumping point. in bed with the, with, you know, the, the, uh, the, I don't know what the you want to call it. The, yeah. I mean, she's, been hired by Jekyll wasn't the only upper crust, you know. Well, high person to say. visit the yeah. red. She, yeah. fi- she, but she sees Jekyll, and he's not interested in her. And he see she sees this, you know, and that he's a doctor, and she he gives a him gentleman. the card, you know, and mm-hmm. she, um, and so uh, I think that Utterson brought him there to sort of loosen up and to get a drink, and you know, and then um, maybe loosen up more. But he decided not. Sex was not what he was looking for, you know, sure. but he did go there to study personalities too. Jekyll, Dr. Okay. Jekyll. Did he really? They, I don't think they, I, they, I remember they that. Just, it was just one of those, you know, it's, it wasn't written about or it wasn't talked about, but he, they frequented, you know, these places, maybe not just for sex, but for observation on what is good and evil. Oh, sure. You know? Be, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I get that. I get so, that. And, uh, Especially since some of the upper crust are immediate, are who are are kind of blanketing anyone who works here as evil. Yeah. So then there's a curiosity as a scientist to be like, well, are they? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like that. Yeah, I, I hadn't that's thought of that. I could think of is that that she, you know, but you know, when you get when you're in a brothel, you get exposed to all walks of life. So then when uh, Jekyll realizes that the only way to further his science is to test the medicine on himself. Yes. This is when the hide emerges. Yeah. And he feels alive. With yeah. Satan himself <laughs> by my side. And I love that. I, love that. <laughs> I just love people singing at full yeah. blast. It's just so exciting. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, but when Hyde emerges as this evil half of himself he immediately turns back to lucy to the to the prostitute right yeah. because he wants to do everything that jekyll had decided was not appropriate for him to do um they kind of play now, with each other hyde and jekyll yeah. are playing with each other yeah now does lucy recognize him as dr jekyll like do you think on some level she thinks he is coming back as himself but just like doing this role play thing or do you think that she thinks Hyde is someone completely different at the at at the onset I'm not quite sure but during dangerous games and they meet in the night you know and it's Hyde uh-huh. that comes but I think she rec- I think like when she's in the bed at the very end for a new life before she sings that mm-hmm. big be- a power ballad of of just her mm-hmm. last you know, please, life. You know, make something better for me. And mm-hmm. and then she hears, shh. You know, they do this. Oh, Lucy, shh, you just you know. gave me chills. Yeah, I love that. It was like shh. Cuccioli was like shh. And I think she recognizes 
Dr. Jekyll's voice, but she turns mm. and she sees Hyde. Sees that's Hyde. Yeah, oh, so she recognizes. Crushing. She, yeah, yeah, but I think I think that's like because because she has her back and he comes behind her and she's like, it's I I yeah. think that that's why a new life is even worse when she gets killed because she trusts him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just oh, I mean that's a whole nother that's a whole nother Lucy story. I mean, I watched it get directed. Um, we weren't mm. in the room a lot of times when they were directing because they were trying to find the beats and stuff, and then they would bring, bring the cast back in. But the cool thing is, as we're getting to, towards the end of the show, in 1990, I thought this was the coolest thing, they had a Mylar mirror that was part of the lab near one of Jekyll's chairs, Dr. Jekyll's uh, mm. lab. And when he really takes this drug again, it's right before the wedding, too, he has this confrontation it's called the confrontation. Do you really mm. think that I would ever let you go? When I said they were playing, mm. but they had at that point they had another actor, Dave Clements, played sort of the growly mm. voice for Hyde behind the mirror, dressed like Hyde. And there's Jekyll really? having this confrontation. So the confrontation happened between Jekyll and Hyde, but Dave Clements played, and they they played with the sound and everything, and they had this duet kind of this really, mm. really dramatical, struggling duet. And at the end of that, you don't know who wins. And then comes the yeah. wedding, and then you know that Hyde come, surfaces. <clears throat> but when yeah. we fast forward to 1990, I mean 1997, so all of a sudden, we get to the confrontation, and Robin Phillips, new director, Broadway rehearsal, he says, we're not going to do the mirror. We're going to make the, the same actor, Bob Cuccioli, play both parts, sing both parts. So he would have to shift his voice and the sound, the sound engineering and mixing would help a little bit. But how we first started that, he said, I want to see your, your struggle, your physicality. This is a Jekyll physicality. This is a Hyde physicality. And how we did this, he had, he had a rope tied to, uh, uh, to Bob's uh, arms on, on two sides as if we're doing playing tug of war. And one half mm. of the cast went to one side, one cast oh. went to the other side. And he sang the song, and he would say, pull to the right. And then Bob's body would go that way, and then pull to the left. He wouldn't resist it as much as we were actually taking the direction from the directors to which, when he wanted to see the change happen. And that's how Bob created that without wow. the rope on him, the confrontation of the physicality. And then he felt it became part of his body. So then it was lighting, sound elements for the Hyde character to shift from the sound mixing for the, the Jekyll. But his physicality, all the Jekylls on Broadway that played it in our company on Broadway uh, you know, for that run, I don't know how it was done later uh, in the revival, but it was, that's how it came to be. And it was a very wow. exciting, it was, it, we did theater games, you know, it was like we did this major yeah, theater game, but it completely, all the responsibility was on Bob and God bless him. He, he mm. did it and he, he made that work every night. And uh, he had such a, he's such a great, a grace about his body mm. too. In the way Bob Cuccioli, I love James Naughton and I'm so happy he won a Tony award for Chicago that season, yeah. but Bob Cuccioli in that confrontation is one of the coolest things I, I I didn't know it was possible for a Bob person to do that. Bob should have won the Tony that, that year. He should have won. Thank you for saying no, it. No, Thank you for saying down. it. It was a new it was a new role, 
You know, the, you don't, and he, it was a brand new role. I, I can't imagine anybody working harder or more exact than he did in that role. And granted, I was 16 when I saw it, so no, what, it, what did I know? To but, watch Bob, no, he should have won the Tony that year. That's all. I mean, you know, I, I, and yeah. I don't know what politics were going on. Norton's, he's a seated professional, and, and I'm a fan. Absolutely. But he was doing a role, a show that had been done, even though he was yeah. good in that part, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, that's I, I, think, I think Bob I've, got robbed. <laughs> I I yeah, agree. Yeah. It's just it's such a special performance that he created there. I also remember during that Tony Awards them talking about they were using the newest lighting technology so that they could turn on and off a light immediately. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because some sometimes you turn off a light and there's still, you know, the light bulb is dying down and they needed something so exact that he could stand up and be a completely yeah. different character facing the other way. Yeah. And I thought it worked beautifully. Yeah, well, and the mirror was cool because Dave Clemens had such a great voice. He did a couple things. I'm sure, I'm sure. uh, But it was, yeah, that that confrontation, you kind of go, is it going to hold? And the lighting was precise, as you said. It Mm -hmm. it helped. But the grace of how Bob, that was a a workout right there, you know. It was a dance, you know. But but it was a dance of good and evil, (laughs) you know, for real, you know. But yeah, that was That's that fantastic. was pretty spectacular to uh, to to get to watch that. Yeah, what a beautiful piece of history to be a part of. Yeah, and a big one. The show ran. I, I think you said three years, but it says here it ran for four years. It might, you know, it might have run for four years. Yeah, it might have. It also says that somehow after four years, it still didn't make back its invest, its initial I investment. I think there was just so many people that had a piece of that pie. I have no idea what yeah. that. I tell you one one funny thing. You know, you talk about spooky in the theater, right? Since we're doing a Halloween mm. thing, I, when Li- yes, when Linda Etter, um, she announced she was going to leave. She was actually pregnant too, but um, and uh, now her son Jake, and he's he's a musician. He's fantastic, but yeah. he's grown up. But anyway, she was she was pregnant. And she she had to get on with her recording uh, career too, at that point. But um, mm-hmm. it was the two thousandth performance, I think, and I may be mixing this up. But she was supposed to leave on that that particular performance, and some of the Jackies even gave us two thousand hats. You know, it said two thousand on it. Stuff. But we didn't get to perform that show that day we had to we had to cancel the show because for whatever reason there was something that happened with the ceiling of the Plymouth and it had broken through the sky uh uh, whatever the there was a window way at the tippy top had fallen through and so it was not it was unsafe so we couldn't do the show we canceled the show and I thought but that's also it was also because I said you know I'm all psychic you know type thing I said that's because Linda's leaving there's a passage happening here. I said, Linda, you wow. broke the ceiling, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's like the, the, the theater didn't want her to go, you know. And mm. so it was really interesting, you know, when the baton gets passed. It had nothing to do with the fact that Luba Mason wasn't beautiful in the role when she when she came in. But it really was a passage, you know, because, I mean, Linda, it was, it was written for her, you know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I remember this. I listened to her sing A New Life three different times on three different albums. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. She was there from the beginning. That's really cool. And I tell you, Kim Scharnberg has been a Frank Wildhorn orchestrator and a Linda Etter album orchestrator for years. He's a very good friend of mine. I've stayed friends with him. I love him to pieces. And he helped make that sound for, for Frank. Yeah. You know, he yeah. fulfilled that. Yeah. yeah. 
to this day, I love the original Broadway cast recording of Jekyll and Hyde. I love what he did with Scarlett Pimpernel, which hopefully we'll get to do an episode on that because that's another one of the, those shows that just has a, a, a myth of a process. Uh, I have a fun story ended. about that too. When I got cast in Jekyll and Hyde, there were, we didn't have cell phones. So I had to call, I called a payphone because I had a voice message from my agent, whatever. And I said, she goes, you just booked Jekyll and Hyde, but they fret, you're late for your rehearsal for Scarlet Pimpernel. I was like, what? She goes, they want you to, I was like, late, you know? And she goes, they're doing a demo of another Frank Wildhorn musical and they want you to sing on it. And I said, and you're going to get paid, oh. but you're going to, so you got to go to like West Dance Studio. I've heard it was in 72nd Street Studios or something like that. So I booked Jekyll and Hyde and I, but I also, they said, but can, I, was late, late. I was late for my <laughs> rehearsal for, for the Scarlet Pimpernel. I didn't even, they just said, said, can she come and sing on the soundtrack? So I did the demo of Scarlet Pimpernel. And I oh did the, uh, I, I didn't oh, do wow. any leads. I did ensemble, some of the character voice on ensemble, mm-hmm. but I loved it. And I went to the, I went to the, the private uh, pitch for that show when it was a room filled of, I don't know where mm. we were, maybe Radio City, room filled of all these people, backer, potential backer people. And they played the soundtrack and told the story of Scarlet Pimpernel. So another, you know, that's, yeah. I love that score. Becky, I have loved talking with you so much, and I have taken oh, no, too much I, of your time. But I thank wish you that for we could have so coffee or something together because I just uh, so I, I feel the feel, same I, way. I was so honored when you way. when you were interested in in Jekyll and Hyde, and you you kind of knew what my history was with it, and and uh, that you thought that I could shed some light, some spooky stories, some fun stories, yes. some, some jaded oh stories. <laughs> 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 No, it's been, it's just been so much fun and it's been such a fun, like, did I even talk about the ending? Like everyone dies at the end of the show. Yeah. Jekyll, Jekyll dies. Lucy dies. Emma doesn't die. Emma doesn't die. She goes, go to sleep, my tormented love. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, bomb, bomb. <laughs> oh my gosh. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media where you'll see uh, many, many more great stories because there's no way that all of the amazing stories <laughs> Becky shared with us today is are going to end up in this episode. Uh, but we are on uh, X and Instagram and TikTok. Also, check out our T Public store where all of our profits that we receive. We donate to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And finally, don't forget about Patreon exclamation point, where for only $1 a month, you receive bonus episodes made exclusively for you. Oh. Uh, Miss Rebecca Spencer, how do we follow you? And is there anything you want to plug? Well, if there, if you're interested in any of those pictures for um, from documentaries yes. from Jekyll and Hyde, yes, my yes, website yes. is very extensive in terms of uh, the recordings that I've done and a lot of the pictures from all my productions through the years. But I have a, a great many from the Broadway and from the 1990 Jekyll and Hyde. So my website is rebeccaspencer.com and um, and then I love the stage and one of the things that I learned from Frank Wildhorn was I had a lot of opportunity to do backups and stuff in the studio because Linda was always, mm. Linda Edder was always recording. So um, I took that 
further, and I have produced, self-produced three recordings with my pianist, uh, Philip Fortenberry. We both live in Las Vegas now. We started in, in New York. The one album is the first one, Wide Awake and Dreaming. Uh, it earned a Bistro Award. The second one was Fair yeah. Warning, sort of inspired by the Ladies of the Red Hat Society, but they're kind of theater oh. songs. And the third, oh. um, and that's with cello. And the third was uh, Still, 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 which is a Christmas album that was dedicated to the stories of Christmas. All those, some of the hymns, some of the, but the songs that share the story of Christmas. It's not preachy, but it will definitely bring you into a landscape sort of snowy sound of the, of, yes. of Christmas. And so, and that's with soprano saxophone and cello as well. And then mm. I'm, I'm premiering uh, the Bergman Project based on exploring the lyrics of Alan and Marilyn Bergman from Hollywood's most distinguished uh, composers had sought after them from the tw- uh, 1950s into the 21st century. Glorious Incredible. music. Yeah, glorious Yentl, music. Yes. At the very least. Yeah. I mean, that we do, and we do a really nice Yentl section, you know, in this, but oh, they compose you. with Marvin Hamlish, you know, Broadway yeah. composer and, uh, you know, and Michelle Legrand was a big person, a big <sighs> collaborator that yes. they, they worked with. And uh, in some of the movies, you know, that the, the songs that they, collaborated with it was basically they the way in which they work they extended the screenplay much like we do in theater different than just mm. getting a famous song to be just on the soundtrack on the credits or yeah, whatever fantastic yeah so please um feel free you can listen to all my stuff even on my um my website you can listen to all those tracks you don't have to pay for it but you know if you want to buy a physical recording lmlmusic.com <laughs> and amazon and anywhere <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We will have links to all of that in our show notes. Oh, great. Thank you for being such a light in our spooky episode. Because, I know. I uh, hope it was a little spooky. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we talked blood and gore <laughs> and naked bodies on gurneys. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Your career, good. Becky. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> and curtain, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you uh, again. And everyone out there, thank you for listening. And uh, remember, uh, what's the tagline? What's the tagline? Bring on the men. No, that can't be the tagline. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why not? Why not? Go to sleep, my tormented love. (laughs) There it is. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.